0: Hey guys, Caitlin and Emily here, ATX Television Festival co-founders and executive directors with this week's release from ATX Season 7. Uh, we wanted to sort of take a minute and let you know that we are a very small team and we curate all of the programming. So when it comes to the festival, each piece of programming is extremely important to us, But the next six episodes we're releasing are incredibly special as they were part of an inaugural track of the festival presented by our official foundation, the Syndication Project.
1: So, the Syndication Project's mission is advocacy through storytelling. We believe the power of story is an incredibly powerful one, and story through television can be one of the strongest tools for change. Essentially, we think that if you have a real story about a person or situation, not just a special episode of or a token character, that you may not know, you may not understand, you may have never encountered in your life. If you can get to know that character, then that translates into the
0: real world. So when it comes to the syndication project, we really like to partner with an organization that knows way more about uh, the issue or the cause or the person or the situation than we do. In this case, it's Student Veterans of America. Uh, We like to take that organization with an issue. In this case, it's military representation on television, and then a story. So all of our panelists in this release have dealt with military representation in various shows. Graham Yost on Band of Brothers. Miko Alon on Long Road Home. Uh, who else is on this? Um, we had Tyler Gray from Seal Team. Yep. Yep all talking about, like, in their current shows or in shows they've written in the past, how they went about accurately representing a variety of different military uh, individuals in their shows. So that's really important. Like, you're not just making, you know, if you have a medical show, you're not just, like, randomly spouting things off. This panel of All of those writers are going to talk about what they went through to make sure that that representation was informed and responsible and maybe issues that they ran into. And it is moderated by Jared Lyons, president of Student Veterans of America.
1: And what's really cool about it is they also had on the panel, we also had on the panel, the consultants that some of these people worked with. So you're having someone sitting there next to you saying, okay, I know you want to tell this story and you want it to be entertaining, but this is just like inauthentic and not true. So really, how do you balance when you're wanting to represent the military? You are obviously wanting to represent it in a positive light because we all know how important our military is, but there's a lot of struggles that people go through. So how do you balance honesty and entertainment and making sure that you're doing a service and
0: respectful job of telling these incredible stories. So, again, this is the first of six. We're going to come back the next five releases with a lot of other organizations, a lot of other stories, a lot of other panelists, but that same sort of core mentality of... A organization, an issue, and a story, and really what we do about it. And sometimes you're just gonna be entertained, and other times you may learn something, and other times you may change your mind, or you may not. But like all of those things are a huge part of television today. So please check them all out. But without further ado, the first one on duty presented by Student Veterans of America. Good morning,
2: everybody. I think we can do better than that. Good morning, everybody. Right. That's awesome. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you all uh, joining me. Um, I'm going to uh, to give you kind of just a quick introduction to set the stage, uh, uh, but before I do that, I wanna bring out our panelists. Um, so our first panelist is gonna be uh, Miko Alan. Who's a screenwriter, a showrunner, and a documentary filmmaker? Um, he's best known for creating Nat Geo's acclaimed series about the Iraq War, *The, the Long Road Home*, based on the best-selling book by Martha Raddatz. Uh, Miko is also chosen in 2018 by Variety as one of this year's global creatives to watch. So, give it up for Miko! Next up, we have Graham Yost, who is a screenwriter, a showrunner, and producer. Uh, Graham has written and produced critically acclaimed projects such as The Band of Brothers, The Pacific, Speed, The Americans, Justified, and Sneaky Pete. I can't stop watching The Americans. Thank you very much, Graham. Um, He's also a recipient of two Emmys uh, and a Golden Globe. So let's give it up for Graham. Thank you for being here. Next, it is my pleasure to introduce Anna Fricke. Uh, She is a television writer and producer. Uh, she's best known for her work on shows like Valor, a uh, childhood favorite of mine, Dawson's Creek, uh, Everwood, Men in Trees, Privileged, and also the co-creator of the North American version of Being Human. Anna, let's give it up for her. Also going to bring up uh, a couple of my brothers in arms, some veterans themselves. Uh, so next up is Tyler Gray. Uh, Tyler's a former U.S. Uh, Army Special Operations veteran, uh, served four and a half years, uh, with the 75th Ranger Regiment, uh, the 2nd Ranger Battalion as a sniper. Uh, Tyler also uh, is um, uh, kind of an amazing guy because he's recovering from his combat wounds. Uh, he's become involved in veterans issues and is a high demand uh, person as a tactical trainer for the military, law enforcement, and civilian markets, and has, uh, is also serving as a military consultant in the film and entertainment business. Let's give it up for Tyler. And last but certainly not least is Mr. Eric Berkwin, who's a decorated US Army veteran who completed three combat tours, uh, one in Afghanistan and two in Iraq. Uh, Eric's life story is part of Nat Geo's miniseries, The Long Road Home, uh, about about the Black Sunday battle. Uh, Eric served as a military technical advisor for the series. Uh, So let's bring out Eric. Eric is so tall, he does not need stairs. <laughs> so welcome, y'all, to On Duty, uh, presented with Student Veterans of America. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Uh, quick introduction to myself, I'm Jared Lyon. I'm the president and CEO of Student Veterans of America, and I'm very happy to be moderating this panel. Um, at Student Veterans of America, we lead uh, the support efforts for student veterans to, through, and beyond higher education after they get out of the military and go to college using their uh, Department of Veterans Affairs education benefits. We represent a national network of 1,500 chapters in all 50 states and four countries overseas, representing more than 700,000 veterans that are in higher education right now. Um, That Student Veterans of America recently worked on the passage of the Forever GI Bill, uh, which has now made the GI Bill benefit permanent for post-911 veterans after they get out. Uh, We just held our national conference in San Antonio, Texas, so not far from here, Uh, and with a little over 2,000 post-911 veterans there, it's the largest gathering of post-911 veterans in the country. I, myself, as you've probably assumed, am also a veteran, uh, had to even out the Army. Uh, I served in the Navy as a submariner and also a diver. Um, So, what I'd like to do is kind of jump right into some questions for the panelists, Uh, but before I get started, I'd like to briefly talk about the role of storytelling in culture change, and specifically how it pertains to the portrayal of active duty service members, veterans, and military families. Whether reducing the numbers of drunk driving fatalities within the designated driver campaign, or changing hearts and minds about marriage equality through shows like Will & Grace, Content creators possess the world's greatest megaphone and significantly affect culture change efforts. Likewise, when content creators disproportionately portray segments of the military and veteran population as damaged or broken, uh, the general public tends to believe those negative stereotypes as true, whether or not they accurately reflect the associated statistics. In very uh, heavy amounts of research over the last decade, the majority of veterans say that they feel more pity than respect from civilians as a result of their military service. Veterans also state that they rarely see depictions that they can identify with as many active duty and veterans are seen as uh, not only idealized heroes or lost charity cases uh, with very few options in between those two ends of the spectrum. Likewise, research shows that service members and veterans would prefer to see a more diverse representation in the stories of those who have served in the military, from ethnicity to socioeconomic backgrounds, to the kind of music and hobbies that they engaged in. And given the enormity of protocol that's associated with each branch in the military, uh, great efforts must be taken to simply portray these stories accurately. Multidimensional, Multidimensional, normalized depictions of active duty service members and veterans better represent the population positively contribute to the cultural narrative around veterans and foster understanding amongst the civilian population. And even when it comes to post-traumatic stress, a topic that is often covered by the media, uh, there is a lack of coverage around post-traumatic growth, which doesn't reflect the resiliency and sheer ability to overcome trauma uh, that the majority of service members and veterans demonstrate. So we're here to talk today about stories portraying service members and veterans and how this panel has brought those stories to life. So for all of you on the panel, uh, you've dedicated your time and energy to making sure that stories about the military and veteran communities uh, reintegration and uh, do so in a responsible and nuanced way. As we all know, it's not easy to uh, really possible to leave to chance or skip over the millions of details associated with each branch of the military. So I'd love to dig into your process and how you create these stories on screen. Graham, I'd like to start with you. So you've portrayed multiple historical events in your work. Can you talk us through the creative process when there is a historical precedent to follow?
3: Um, wow, that was, <laughs> am I too close to the microphone? <laughs> um, the, um, on Band of Brothers, we were working from a book by Stephen Ambrose. Um, that was the, the sort of the foundational thing. But what was interesting with that is one of the reasons he picked uh, Easy Company um, was that there were a number of guys still alive, and so he he'd done a book about D Day, and that led him into the paratroopers, and that led him into finding about Easy Company, and so um, you know uh, Captain Winters, Major Winters at that uh, uh, Nixon was dead; he died early in the 60s. But anyway, a lot of these guys were still alive, so his resource in writing the book was talking to them, and we had the same res- resource ourselves. So. That was the there, there, there was other research that was done. you know, uh, there were people we could go to that would tell us about where Easy Company was and how they got from A to B and, and things, but mostly it was just talking to the vets. And so they would they would give us the story. And my example is the, the, the episode I wrote that ended up being called Breaking Point, which when I got that assignment, the someone just said, we're thinking this one should focus on Carwood Lipton. By the way, we got Donnie Wahlberg to play him. Remember in Sixth Sense, the really skinny guy who died at the beginning? Yeah. So he, uh, he's going to be in. I said, like, okay, he's one of the uh, new kids on the block. That's great. <laughs> um, you know, jump forward, I ended up creating a series for Donnie on NBC called Boomtown because I just wanted to work with him some more. But anyway, um, so I started talking to Carwood Lipton. And it was in talking to him, th- there was a question I asked because uh, Winters was no longer running the company. He was now Battalion. And I said, who was the leader? Who who held Easy Company together? And he kept on demurring. And everyone else I talked to said, oh, it was Garwood. And so uh, that gave me the story. But the, the the research was really just talking to him um, and focusing on that one period in that episode, which was about um you know, the Ardennes, Battle of the Bulge, and then their, their assault on the, the small town of Foy. Um, so we were blessed with that. With Pacific, almost all the people were dead. And uh, Sid Phillips, who was a very good friend of... Sid Phillips was the sort of pivotal character in, in the Pacific, because when McKenna was doing the research on it, he found that Sid Phillips was um, in Lecky's company, but had been best friends with Sledge. So that sort of brought the stories together. Bassalone ended up being on his own trajectory, but he did cross with him. Um, but Sid was still alive. And so um, I'm trying to remember if I, I I did get to meet him once and spent a fair amount of time talking to his sister, Catherine. Um, but we didn't have that same thing. So we would talk to people who knew people, um, Who, but, you know, just in the five, six years, the... Uh, the statistics, the the mortality, you know, just, they just weren't around. Um, But, uh, yeah. No, Graham,
2: I really appreciate that. And speaking from personal experience, last year I jumped out of a perfectly good airplane with the U.S. Army Golden Knights and a medic from Easy Company. Uh, Spent the whole day with him, and he waxed poetic about how good and true to form that you maintain with historical references from your work, so it, pretty, pretty awesome.
3: Well, just two things and I'll shut up. When I uh, was working on... That's not gonna happen. No. Um, <laughs> working on an HBO miniseries about the Apollo space program, uh, we, we felt this great dedication to try and get the story right, and because we, we had an astronaut on staff who was you know vetting everything and giving us stories and advice. Um, but it was like paying tribute to those guys. And then when Band of Brothers came along, it's like, oh my god, these are the guys who saved the world. And so we really owed it to them to get it right. Um, and uh, you're lucky. I can't remember my second point that I was going to make, so. <laughs> well, well, that's perfect. I'll jump to Miko, because
2: Miko, you two have worked from source material. Uh, my question for you is, how do you translate the book to screen?
4: Well, yeah, whoops, these are very, very loud. Um, I guess the one of the challenges in our story is that, um, for those of you who haven't seen The Long Road Home, it basically tells the story of one day in the Iraq War, April 4th, 2004, uh, on which 19 American soldiers, newly arrived, um, were ambushed suddenly by thousands of insurgents on what was supposed to be a peacekeeping mission. And our series follows first the terrifying ambush and then the incredibly brave and harrowing rescue in which um, eight American soldiers gave their lives and more than 65 were wounded. So So one of the instant challenges was the book by Martha Raddatz is astonishingly well done and gives you um, an incredible intimate sense of the terror and chaos of combat, but also an incredibly intimate prism into the family lives of the soldiers. But you probably get to know about 40 uh, people really well and so it was about focusing the um focusing into basically eight principal characters principal families of whom eric uh, was one and you know because of the event we knew that it had such an enormous impact on hundreds of families it was uh from the very beginning we all felt this incredibly solemn responsibility to to get it right as, as graham said and i knew that we could only do that by um speaking with the veterans themselves and um, I spoke to probably close to 70 veterans and families. Um, Eric um, became probably the closest advisor uh, to the project, and I just want to share, if I may, Eric, the how we first met because it's kind of funny. Um, so Eric was initially a little reluctant to become involved because a lot of the material that we deal with is very, uh, you know, traumatic and and difficult and harrowing to relive. But at the same time, he really appreciated that we wanted to um, really make this as authentic as possible so um, I asked if I could sit down for an interview with Eric and Eric said I don't know about that but we can do lunch and so we had lunch and at the end of the lunch Eric said, okay we can do an interview but I'm not gonna promise that my wife will do an interview Um, so we go to Eric's house and Leslie who's here um, eventually joins us and I spent um, the day with um, uh, with them and then Eric took me to Fort Hood and to show me sort of where he first lived and where they trained. And uh, that really started the journey of Eric becoming one of the uh, principal advisors on this project, along with Aaron Fowler, who is here today, who is um, Eric's friend, one of the rescuers in this story. And I just want to say um, Aaron uh, was wounded in the rescue, was shot in both knees, but stayed in the fight to... Three times um, and tried to uh, and stayed in the fight until his brothers were rescued. And they both worked with our art department and props department first, just on technical details down to everything from how their fellow soldiers' Kevlar vests were configured, how vehicle radios were configured, but then were on set almost every single day to guide our actors to be there as a resource to understand uh, the emotional, psychological realities of war. And I just can't say enough about the selflessness of being willing to reopen the wounds of that day over and over again for us so that we could help the world understand um, what happened that day
5: thank you for sharing that um, just a caveat off that I think it's important it was very uh, important for me to be able to share my story and he was the way he's telling it I was um, very hesitant to help share it but um, one of the things with sharing your story it becomes more real and more people get to experience it. And through that, there's a lot of healing in that because it's a shared experience. So it's been a pretty positive um, overall experience with all of it. Thank you for that. And I'd
2: like to bring it to you real quick. So in 2017's Valor, you had the unique experience, unlike anyone else on this panel, of trying to reach a younger audience with a military story on the CW network. Uh, My question is, how did you approach storytelling for millennials as opposed to baby boomers or Gen X?
6: I mean, I think that the military actually really does speak to the millennials because they're the ones who are on the precipice of, of doing that, and you know, it's people who are all, the story of valor. You know, the soldiers are all obviously very young, you know, so it's it's really speaking to people who are on the precipice of deciding what they want to do next, and so. You know, just like any of these shows, it's just storytelling. So it's sort of like, who are these people? Why did they choose to go into this service? What is it about them? And we did a lot of work with flashbacks, both to a special mission that got them in this position in the first place, but also to their to their younger lives and who what made them into who they are today. And so... I think, I don't know that we specifically tried to reach younger people. It was definitely a reach for the CW to put on the show. It's not on anymore. Uh, so, so maybe we didn't totally succeed. But um, we weren't specifically trying to get the younger audience. Um, it's you know It was obviously a very young and pretty cast, and there was cool music. But aside from that, we were just really trying to tell the story of these people and their service. That's pretty cool. So Eric and
2: Tyler... I know a lot of doctors have a difficult time watching like shows about doctors and lawyers have a tough time watching legal shows. Uh, my question for you guys is how do you make a military show that you know military service members and veterans want to watch as veterans yourselves
7: um, that's a great question uh you know the the thing that that it it's a constant balance um and, and this is the thing that that really I, I would love the opportunity. I'm, I'm trying to convey this to the to the military community. First of all, I'll start by saying, you know, I get it all the time, you know. Well, why are you working in Hollywood? Like, what are you doing? And I go, well, what do you think about how the military is portrayed on TV and movies? Oh, it's, it's horrible. It's always wrong. I go, okay, um, cool. Um, how do you think that's going to change? Oh, you just got to fix it. I'm like, well, who's going to fix it? And I'm like, that's why I'm there. You know, that's why, if, that's why Eric's there. if we're not there, I'm like, do you think it's gonna magically fix itself? Or do you think it actually requires somebody being there? They're gonna do it how they think it should be done until someone shows them how to do it the way it is done. Um, that being said, there's, there's, a, there's a, the first thing you learn, you're like, this is how we do it. And they go, okay, um, yeah, we can't do it that way. <laughs> And I'm like, but why not? And they're like, well, you see the network advertisers. And then there's also the fact that uh, the actor can't, blah, blah, blah. and you're like, oh man, we can't do it that way. So it's a constant balance of getting it as, um, and people always ask all the time, is it real? And I go, um, no, it's a TV show. <laughs> um, so it's not meant to be real. It's meant to feel authentic. Um, I'm not going for realism. I'm going for authenticity. And once you look at it through that lens, you go, okay, look, it can feel authentic. Doesn't Everything doesn't have to be real. And as I've already stated, it can't be. So what can feel authentic, what can and should feel authentic is the story. And going back to Anne's point, if you don't have a story that that works on its own, regardless of whether it's about doctors, whether it's about the military, if the story doesn't work, it doesn't work. I don't care what it's about. Um, so the first thing that, that we focus on is, you know, I try and get the story as authentic as possible, and then every detail that I can. Because back to your your question is, if somebody's watching it and they're like, "Man, this story is really good," then the guy, I mean, I'm giving an extreme example, but I did have it happen to me once, where somebody's helmet's on backwards. <laughs> I'm out of it now, you know, it's military. It's just like, yeah, you had me. And then the helmet backwards, you lost me. So it's one of those things where you gotta, it, you gotta balance your time. You can't put all your time into the details to, to keep everyone in it. So put the majority of your time into the story, but then also try and get the, the, the tactics, the gear, the, all those things um, right enough where it just doesn't pull Uh, a service member or a veteran out of it that's that's my intent that's kind of been my plan um eric
5: my story was um it was real and one of the things that i wanted to make sure that i helped with was conveying what actually happened there and being able to make us all look like who we were you know it's obviously a detractor when you're watching something you see somebody with a backwards helmet or they're wearing a a vest Um, like a a sweater in the jungle it just does not look appropriate so it takes away from the story but being able to um, fine-tune those touches to make it as authentic as possible especially to match it to the time frame that it was because you know military service changes gear changes you know things tactics techniques procedures everything changes so often so being able to um really get in there and make it to the way it was supposed to be and have it right it lifted a weight off of my shoulder and it really helped me um, you know, come to peace with it, but being able to have the other veterans see it and everybody else be like, "Oh, wow, man, that was that was what it was like." That's really, really awesome. It was great, you know, and it's no small feat due to many, many people. And um, you know, it's just it gives it that final touch of making it real, especially when it's got all that emotion behind it. No, I really appreciate that. Was was there something?
4: Um, okay, there we go. Oh, thank you. Um, I just wanted to say we had, I think, a slightly unique experience in that we took um, Eric, Aaron, and we had two Army Rangers also training um, our actors. Their uh, advice very seriously, and I was very proud of the cast when we would start blocking scenes. I remember once one of our directors uh, was blocking a scene, and both the actors said, I can't stand there because I would never have my back to an open door. And we would always take whatever the... Um, technical advice is we would take it and adjust the scene so that it would be authentic because I felt from the very beginning, um, you know, these are ultimately sort of small details but um, a great um, weight in knowing that the real-life soldiers and real families will be watching this and I wanted them to feel like we got it right so I certainly didn't want soldiers watching it being like god the guy's you know doesn't have a clip in the weapon or something like that and it's amazing when you have multiple tech advisors watching things for just technical aspects um, how much that helps and um, I remember Michael Kelly was telling a story about (laughs) uh, he had a difficult time getting in and out of a Humvee with his weapon and he tried to ask someone I don't know if it was was Mike Mike, Mike Baumgarten how do you do that and he said just get in there and so Michael Kelly gets in there and clang clang the weapon is banging where and and Michael says, so what do you think? And Mike Baumgarten said, not like that. <laughs> uh, and they just kept uh, rehearsing it. But it was amazing, the, the boot camp um, that we had for the actors. I think it also bonded them uh, so that by the time that uh, they really kind of assumed their roles as, you know, platoon leader and squad leaders and... Uh, it was really uh, unique, but I think to your point, I don't understand. I was asked this question during our press tour. I don't understand if if you have veterans as advisors, why you wouldn't take their advice? If people are telling you that something isn't right, why don't why not change it?
7: Can I please? Because uh, yeah, I was actually thinking of this uh, earlier um, uh, when you started talking, and 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 that's I think that's. I should have said this before, but that is the most single critical thing, is it doesn't matter. One of the things I learned early on is it doesn't matter what someone says, if the people, if the director, if the producers, if, the, if, if as you go up the chain, if they don't care, it doesn't matter what you say. So what, what you need to tell, uh, or what you need to be authentic is everyone on board wanting to be authentic? That is the most critical point. And and not to uh, speak for Graham, but you know, there's no way you make Band of Brothers. There's no way you make the Pacific. Um, don't know But there's no way you do that without. You, there's no way you end up with what we all saw. Without everyone on board, correct me if I'm wrong, being in, from the actors to the all the way to to really the network, you know, there has to be a collective agreement to get it as authentic as possible. And um, the the difference that I see between you know things that the 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 military or veteran community really accept and the ones they don't, it's when everyone's on that on that same page of authenticity. Um, you're allowed to do it. If I look at something, I go, well, that's wrong. But if it gets up to the network and they go, yeah, we don't care, well, guess who wins that war, right? Um, so you really need everyone on board, and the things that are really uh, capturing people you know, from movies to TV is the things that everyone has really collectively just got on board to tell the stories uh, as authentic as possible. Oh, go ahead, Graham. Um,
3: We have certain opinions about actors, um, but the truth is, in these projects, they are often the greatest defenders of the truth. you were saying, you know, no, I wouldn't have my back to the door. Um, The actors on Band uh, really got to know the guys they were playing and would talk to them all the time and get little tidbits and, and would I visited the set when we were doing the uh, doing Breaking Point, and the guy who played Muck, um, Richard Spate, and he was going to die in that episode. His his foxhole we shared with Pincala was hit by a direct hit during the, one of the barrages in, in the Ardennes, and he had been in contact with the family and got this detail about how Muck had swum across the Niagara River above the, the water above the falls and stuff. And so, so well. I'll use that. I'll put that in a in a scene. Um, so the the actors were incredibly uh, tuned into the people they were playing. Um, Donnie Wahlberg was close with Carwood Lipton to his last day. Um, the other thing that someone mentioned boot camp, and you know, there I think in some historical military films, there had been some kind of training of, of actors, but a lot of that really started, at least in in, in my version of this thing, with uh, Dale Dye and Private Ryan. Sure. And um, that sort of set a template for a lot of people. And I will say, and you know, uh, uh, we wouldn't have done Band of Brothers if Private Ryan hadn't happened. Mm-hmm. And Dale and Mike Stokey and a bunch of other people were the technical advisors on, on Band, And the cast of band gets together every year. um, And the day they pick for their reunion is the first day of boot camp, because that's when they came together. They started to come together as as a unit. Um, So yeah, those guys, Dale, and and for me in in the Pacific, Mike Stokey, um, they, they obviously were not veterans of World War II, but they were students. And they had been in the Marine Corps and were reporters, actually, in Vietnam. Um, which gave them a, a really interesting, odd kind of view of the whole war because they could go anywhere. They went all over Vietnam and would report on what was going on. Um, but they they would study things to the point where at one point HBO was interested in doing uh, Alexander the Great, and so they started studying that. So they would know what the shields were like and the swords and what kind of and how the horses were geared up and stuff. So you know, and it all does come from. You know, we were so lucky we are doing those with HBO, and if you're doing it with Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg, they get to do what they want to do, and they want to make it as accurate as possible. Um, so, you know, it, it does come from that down. What, what's the point of doing this? Well, the point is to pay tribute, and you pay tribute by doing it as accurately, or as authentically as you can. Because I remember, again, in England shooting this episode of Band, and David Frankel was the director of that, and he said, OK, I've seen some of the early episodes, these guys are going to take off their helmets whenever they can because they're all 28-year-old white guys and they all look the same, and the audience isn't going to know who the hell they are. <laughs> you know, years go by and people watch band obsessive You know, every year, and so everyone knows who Garnier is and Toy and stuff like that. But for an audience then, they all looked kind of the same. Um, so there was some there was some little fudging in that regard.
2: Well, I think authenticity is is, is a good word to use and. You know, it it can be difficult with regard to authenticity, given that, you know, um, it's really easy for a group of veterans to get together and tear something apart that medals on the wrong side or something nuanced. The story matters. But I think something else that you said, uh, Tyler, as well, is that, you know, if, if anyone cares and one of the things to look at is. You know, at present, there's about 21 million veterans alive in the United States right now. And at any given time, a little less than one half of 1% of our populace serves in the military on active duty. So we're a really small subsect of the U.S. population. Uh, But something that really uh, is compelling to me is to watch how the two of you as veterans are working with the industry, because you said it exactly right. If we don't do it, who's going to care? Who's going to be there? So the ability to tell those authentic stories, I think, is really good. Has any of the panelists found themselves um, trying to bring more folks in uh, that have that military background, whether as advisors or, or even just whether it be as actors or just working on the productions themselves? Has anyone had an experience
6: with that? Uh, we had uh, on Valor we had um, two female veterans on staff because it was a show with a female lead and we really wanted to make sure that we were tapping into that and that was hugely valuable. We had April Fitzsimmons who was in uh, Navy intelligence and we also had Shamar White who was in the Army and she wasn't naval Navy. I'm so sorry, so sorry. Wow. She's one of my best friends.
2: <laughs> it's okay. So Air Force. You're Air being Force. very authentic right now.
6: Air Force. Well, because they were they were super hardcore about it, and we also had a military advisor, Dan Laguna, who served in the 160th. Do you know Dan? Funny story. <laughs>
7: you don't even know this. I'm the one who referred Dan for the job.
6: <gasps> you who we were supposed to work with. Uh. <laughs>
7: uh, uh, yeah. Uh, you seem so great. I, ironic. That, yeah. So.
6: No, this is true. We, and, and you said, I, I got a better guy for you because... I
7: you, you, So the, the funny part is, so uh, I was Army Special Operations. Um, you're specifically talking about Mark, but me and Mark worked together on SEAL Team. Yeah. But so the funny thing about it, though, is that they're like, they're like, Mark was like, I, I can't get away from this. I got to go do this job. And I'm like, well, what's it about? like it's about 160th uh, special operations helicopters and I'm like but you you were a seal. <laughs> he's like, "Well, yeah, I mean, you know, we can all do." I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, but let me get you like the guy." So, <laughs> I do this research and I'm like, "Look, I uh, I know a bunch of people. I'm like, I need a, a 160th guy and I don't I don't need like a guy. I need the guy." I found the guy. Like, his story is incredible, but yeah, so that's... Dan, Dan Laguna
6: was the guy. I mean, so in terms of authenticity, and we did care, because Kyle Jarrow, who wrote the pilot, his brother was an army ranger, and like, we really wanted to be respectful and tell this story, and we, you know, it was, it was a story that was largely about morality and the gray line, but we wanted to be respectful about why these soldiers were doing what they were doing and what they believed in. And so we brought Dan on from the pilot, and you know, you don't want to mess with Dan. (laughs) He took everything very seriously and he would go over every script and send it back with copious notes. And in the pilot, he played the part just in a medal ceremony of the general, um, and then in series all this all the script notes he would give he would give a note like well given the the level that this is not reached the, the general would be there and it, it, <laughs> and in most cases we we're this is one of those things where we were like we get it but we don't care because we can't you yeah, know yeah. give you lines right now and pay you to be in this scene but it was it just got to be such this you know this refrain throughout the whole season well really uh, now the general would definitely be here and and April Fitzsimmons who was in uh, the Air Force, not the Navy, it had these pillows made that said the general would be here. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so funny. Um,
4: I just wanted to say this. Um, when I spoke at the um, Got Your Six event in Los Angeles, I, I just remarked that I do think that veterans have a lot more to offer Hollywood than just a technical advice about films. It's been amazing to me um, talking to different veterans. I don't too much power. Yes. I <laughs> would be the general to uh, uh, so, so, um, so I was just thinking about this, that you know, talking to different veterans, they have had experiences that, uh, as you said, such a small, small fractional percent uh, serves in the Army. Um, I was always struck by stories when people talked about um, what the act of killing is actually like and how it changes you um, and what the real sort of consequences of war are. And uh, Mike Baumgarten, was our tech advisor, is also a writer. And I just thought like he had such an amazing imagination and when we had long night shoots, we both discovered we were huge horror movie fans and we would talk about aliens and Hellraiser and all, all these things. And I just thought um, there is so much that veterans can contribute as writers because they have lived through events that no one else has. And it is our obligations in the industry to give them those opportunities.
7: No, I think, yeah, go ahead. Uh, so uh, just to, to your point, um, Cause I was very happy. So I'm, I'm a big, if somebody gave me the perfect job, they would just go, okay, you're hired. Um, you only have one directive and that is go rogue. So I am a big, like ask for forgiveness, not permission guy. So talk about hiring vets and bringing people on. So, so Mark was committed to this other show and I was like, dude, we, we gotta, we gotta get on this. Uh, while I'm in school I'm gonna quit school. So, I got him to quit school. So, uh, then I can't to entirely
2: advocate for quitting school, well, but I, I, I,
7: yeah, but here's the problem he's going to film school. Okay, I'm like, make a compelling dude. Film. This is kind of a gimme here. Okay, <laughs> um, what's your end state? Well, to work at film. Here it so, is. yeah, I might like, quit. So, he quits, and then, um, he quits, he comes on the show, and my buddy from the unit that I was in, uh, uh, was in africa flying planes in the bush uh, on a government contract um he so i'm like you're coming too so uh we ended up hiring i hired we had four basically three producers and one advisor uh full-time on the show um two seals and then uh, two former army special operations members um, we hired any time i could push for an acting role for a, you know, obviously they had to be good at it, <laughs> you know, but um, it was one of those things where we hired over the course of the season, I think, we hired over 150 between stunts and acting and just everything, 150 veterans that worked on, on the show, um, you know, in various roles. And, and again, if I could push for a veteran to do that job, I was like, well, let's, can they do it? Are they good? Yeah, well, then. That to give me so and again my whole point though was I pushed it but it took the whole chain of command from you know a lot of people Graham knows but uh, Chris Chulak Sarah Timmerman like all these people had to be on board which they were and then it had to go all the way up to CBS and CBS had to go yeah we're on board with this and they were and so we got to hire all these veterans to work on a veteran show and it's, it's the thing is though it's it's one of those things where it's a gimme I mean that, that's kind of an obvious one. You talk about bringing veterans in and and here's the other thing is I think I couldn't agree more that uh with with what you said about uh the veteran community is if, when you say veteran veteran is past that's past tense so the present tense or the future tense is bring them on and let's see what you want to do. Let's maybe you're a writer, maybe you're whatever, but you were a veteran. Now let's not bring you on because you're a veteran, but let's bring you on and give you the opportunity to be something else because you'll always be a veteran, but that's not a current job. A current job is a writer or whatever on a production. So um, as long as everyone's on board, veterans can get that opportunity to to move forward and, and find themselves in the industry.
2: The way that I would say that is, yeah. The way that I would say that as well is if I was a quarterback in high school, that wouldn't be the only thing that you focus on about my life. Ask me what I'm doing today, not what I did in my past.
7: I I call it Al Bundy syndrome. Damn
2: right. (laughs) It's a great TV show. So um, I've I've spent enough time asking questions. I'm sure some of you have had something burning that you want to ask some of our amazing panelists. Um, We've got the first person who would like to ask a question.
5: kind of scenario and with casting, you know, of course, every question comes down to budget, but when you, especially like your number ones, your number twos, your big guys who are going to be on screen doing these military moves and how much time you get to work with these guys to make the muscle memory look real and, of course, depending on who the actor is, the contracts, how much time you get, is there a certain cutoff point or when you see somebody, you're like, look, I I need a week, I need two weeks with this person, this gal, girl, Uh, and they're like, well, you got three days. You know, is there any interesting stories you guys have to come across that, or, you know, just, just kind of an overall catch and of how much time you usually get, get, how much time, time you usually want, and then every production, I'm sure, is different.
4: I, I can speak for our project. I think our boot camp was two weeks, and I think that it's as important for the, just the muscle memory of the, of the movements and, and sort of learning to be, to at least act like a soldier, as it is for the bonding experience of being a team leader, trying out the different roles and I think the, we had the extraordinary thing that actual veterans of this battle were training our soldiers, like John Beavers, who plays Eric. Uh, you know, it wasn't, it, he was the only one who was in a situation where it's like, well, now you've met Eric, now Eric is going to train you, and he's going to be on set every day. <laughs> Don't fuck it up. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and you guys formed this amazing bond. That's the thing that I feel like we had a unique opportunity in our show that so many of the actors reach out to their real life counterparts or the families in the cases where the soldiers had passed that, form these amazing bonds. So I think there is as much
5: in the portrait, it isn't just the movements, but it is the the brotherhood of soldiers that you get from boot camp. You know, there's um, multiple ways to build teamwork and adversity is one of those ways. And you can get a lot of muscle memory through adversity and the amount of training you put into that time. Now, obviously more time is better for everybody. That way they can look good. But through, um, you know, in my experience, the, um, the shared adversity the guys went through in the beginning of the, the basic training it helped them develop more as a team so it gave them more credence in their muscle memory and in their movements and how they were doing things because they were training as a unit at the time
7: uh, so uh, my my two cents on it uh well so to give context so I worked on a movie uh, I had six weeks to train a guy it got to like week five and'm like dude, I got nothing, uh, like, I'm out, like, I, I don't know what else to do with you, you know, you're, you're trained up. So, um, whereas on SEAL Team, they're like, um, okay, you got two days, <laughs> um, and that's just network TV. So, I was like, two days, wow, that's really rough. So, I utilize this technique called cheating. <laughs> so, we basically cheat, um, and how we do that, it, it, it's so, so, basically i'm i'm on screen i'm not an actor but i'm on screen so what we basically do is you gotta what it comes down to is you can't train people i don't care if you have six weeks you can't train them to look like somebody's done something for five to ten years it's it's just not possible and it's not going to look right so to a degree you need to train them um but again it's the trade-off between what are you really selling? Are you selling a physical movement or are you selling an emotion? Because the emotion is a story. The physical movement is that little technical piece. So the way we do it, we, and again, I've been allowed to do it, is I'll go, okay, I'll do this super complex, which is not complex to me, because I did it for a long time. I'll move through, clear the room, and put up a breach, and then leave the acting to the actors. So we'll track the action, and then we'll they'll just follow, and then we'll go to the acting, um, and that way it looks super authentic because I'm doing it. And then when you get to the actors, it allows us now. I only have to show them very micro movements that I can train very quickly on set, and they can do, and they can look very good. But it's a trick because you're seeing you're seeing this much, but they're only really doing this much. Does that make sense? Um, and on that, it's again it allows them to focus on really portraying the emotions and it allows you know me or or the camera whatever to sell the action so it's it's kind of cheating and it's allowing everyone to specialize in what we want to specialize in or it allows us to specialize so it looks very good but it's really cheated it's movie magic yeah exactly and, and that being said too Everyone learns differently. Like, we have a couple people that are just freaks, and they look amazing. I don't even know where it comes from. Um, but I showed them one time, and they look like they've been doing it for 100 years. Um, so you just, you just got to know um, where to play with that, where where you're going to make your money, where it's important, and where you're going to gain, and where the trade off isn't worth it. Because time is limited, always.
2: Who's got our next question? We've got one in the back running a microphone to you
5: all right thank you Uh, as a privilege of as a veteran I got to serve with Eric and Aaron and so uh, I really want to talk about Graham I have a question for you Uh, love the series Band of Brothers love the series the Pacific and the one thing that helped me as we got back was the last episode of the Pacific and can you talk about why you chose to put that in the Pacific and why maybe not in the band of brothers because it's I, I know Pacific versus Europe but um, that was instrumental I don't think we'd show that kind of last episode to a lot of the veterans and how to reintegrate into
3: society um, that was one of McKenna's uh, Bruce McKenna's first thoughts in doing the Pacific was the one thing we didn't do in band was bring them home um, you know the last episode is Band, a band is points and you can see them all heading off and, and, and you know where they're going to go, and, and, and it wraps up most of their stories. You hear what happened to them, but you don't see them trying to reintegrate. Um, and so that was a big choice. Um, and, you know, M- McKenna always said Band of Brothers is basically a love story, which sounds weird, but it's about, it's about these Band of Brothers, it's about this very coherent group of guys who absolutely love each other and would do anything for each other. And Pacific is three separate stories. And so they don't, it lacked that cohesion, but um, we felt that the Pacific Theater, um, there, was no, there was really no escape. There, there was no, um, you couldn't go for R&R to England. You couldn't go to Paris, as they did later in band. Uh, you could go to the mental hospital on Bonica. That was about it. Um, and there was just a level of isolation for these men. So it felt really important to bring them home. And uh, and partly because the the stories we'd heard of Lecky and Sledge um, and how they adapted to life back home were were we found very moving, and the fact that Barcelona didn't make it home, you know that was the other big difference between the the two miniseries was yes a lot of you know easy company don't make it but there was it's not as though one of the main stories didn't make it and uh, so that was yeah that was really McKenna's. Call right from the beginning. the The only other sort of un, semi unknown story is that there was going to be a story about a um, a, a pilot uh, in Pacific, and then ultimately we just couldn't afford to do it. So, um, because the episode that was going to be about Midway would have cost the entire budget of the entire series, so it was like, "No, well, we can't do that." You know, we're HBO, but we're not stupid. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and but what, what was great about that is then it just focused down to these Marines. Um, uh, and one last story. No, this is not nearly my last. But no, um, I was talking to a guy who taught history at West Point, and he was saying that they used Band of Brothers, and they showed it. And I said, well, I'm working on a thing about, called the Pacific. And he said, oh, great. What's, and I said, it's about Marines. And his face just dropped. Yes, yeah, we're not going to show that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get another question right in front.
1: Um, it's, when a story is received, you guys are called in to write, and direct, and consult, um, but if you talk to most of us veterans, we all have stories to tell. So how do you go about making sure that people, you find people, and because you talk to us, we've got the stories, so is anyone actively trying to find stories?
2: Or you, do you just wait for them to come
1: to you?
4: That's, I think that's an excellent question. Um, I mean, I personally am really interested in the experiences of women in combat because there's, that's something that hasn't been covered by Hollywood. Uh, I mean, there's been a few examples, but I think there's a shortage of those stories. Um, I think at the moment, I think that the industry, we went from having a huge boom in military drama to almost everything being canceled. Um, so I think a lot of things tend to be cyclical, and I think if, like, everything, they will come back. Uh, but there will always be places I think we'll do those stories. I don't it.
6: remember um, the name of it right now, but I can try and find it. but one of our vets who worked with us does a program in Los Angeles which reaches out to vets and um, she workshops with them to do a sort of evening of players. Do you know what, do you yeah, know what it's uh, called? They just did it, but she sort of works with them to to find their stories.
3: There were no, veterans in film and television. Yeah, but it's, VFT. They changed their name. Oh, changed. Yeah, but this is a different. She's
7: talking about specifically like a writer's group that like.
6: A yes. Right oh, excellent. Do you know April? I do.
7: She's my mentor. I was going come
6: see you about So and you're going to tell me to, you know, don't tell her that I said that she was in the Navy. I will not tell her. But that's a great program. You know, she works with veterans to craft their story and then they print. That's awesome. Good for you.
7: That's a great question. Who's got another one?
2: Right in the front again. Uh, Can Uh, I can I add
7: one thing to that though? Um no, this is super critical. Um in fact I'm gonna go as far as say this is the most critical lesson that you can learn is uh uh like this is Hollywood lesson number one. Give no one anything. Do not give your stories away. They're your stories. Write your story register your story with the Writers Guild then, and only then, can you even remotely start talking about it. I know it sounds you know
3: uh Me?
7: (laughs) (laughs) So, So the entertainment industry entertainment industry the irony is the entertainment is before the word industry, the reality is it's the other way around. It's a business and it is arguably, I think we could all agree, it's one of the hardest businesses to get into. Um, for you, everything that you know about the military is like you could just recite it in your sleep because you lived it. But if you're talking to someone who's, let's say, having to write a military show and never been in the military, they have to make up everything, or it, you know, it's it's a lot harder. So it's much easier to get a hold of you and go, give me everything you got. Now you do that, but what are you getting for it? So my point being is, if you really want to get into the industry, especially as a writer, or in, in any capacity, do not give your stories away, write them out, whether it's an outline, however much you write down, register it with the writer, the WGA, and then start talking to people. But the, the oldest trick in the, or not trick, and I don't mean to sound jaded, um, but if you're not, you just haven't been in the industry long enough, um, no, but seriously. Do that before you do anything else because your stories are worth something, your ideas are worth something, and don't give them away for free.
8: Hi. Um, my question was kind of similar to the last couple. Um, like, I, I'm, My name is Heather. I was in the Marine Corps for 10 and a half years, and now I'm disabled, so I couldn't keep going. And since then, I've been really, really interested in being involved in any way in the entertainment industry in terms of tech advisors, because I know veterans, when we watch, You watch military movies, there's a lot of cringing for the most part that goes on. Um, So I was wondering, is there like kind of a standard first step uh, if you want to be involved, and that's like in any way where it's tech advisor, um, writing assistant, um, anything like that. Is there like a first step, somewhere to look? um, And does it always have to be kind of located in LA? I know that's kind of the big hub of all of it, but.
7: Uh, So where do you live?
8: I live in Texas. I mean, I'm willing to relocate, but.
7: So uh, it's, it's complex. Uh, the short answer is, um, I think, the big misconception. Um, now, now again, I'm, I'm saying this because uh, so I always wanted to work in Hollywood even before I joined the military. That being said, one had a time limit and the other didn't. So I joined the military, but now I work in Hollywood. So I started out as a tech advisor. Um, that's what I started out as. That being said, what I know now is this you don't have to start again you, just because you were a veteran like that doesn't mean you have to start out in the veteran world you can start out as anything and and uh, a better way to put it is start out as anything find any way in because what you think you want to do let's say you're interested you said you're interested in the entertainment industry or, or-
8: well, i'm specifically interested in bringing my um, because I got out of the military way sooner than I wanted to. So I want to kind of take that experience and use it towards something else that I care about, which is, is entertainment.
7: So my, my point with that is what I learned and what you'll learn is you don't yet, you don't know yet what position will best suit what you want. It takes you getting there, seeing everything, seeing how the process works, whether it's TV, movies. You got to see the process before you better understand what part of the process you want to be in. So don't think it's just tech advisor because you were in the military. Come in any way you can because once you see everything, I thought I wanted, what I want to do now was the last thing I thought I wanted to do before I got involved. So get in any way you can and stay any way you can because any second on set is learning.
2: So unfortunately we're closing out on time. And so uh, just as sort of a a wrap up thought, uh, first off, thank you all very much for being here and let's give a round of applause to our panelists for (laughs) more time. One of the things that I'd take away with an earlier statement that I made that, you know, there's there's a small percentage of society that is serving in the military, uh, but there's an awful lot more that connects us than divides us as a group. Um, and when we kind of talk about the understanding of just getting involved in any way, it doesn't have to be only as a veteran. One of the misconceptions about our generation is that, we wound up in the military because we had no other options. It is probably the biggest misconception about our population. Um, We are volunteers. Uh, We serve in an all-volunteer military. Uh, There is no draft during our generation. You guys came in in 98. I came in in 01. Um, We chose the military. And we didn't choose the military because we didn't have any other options. We chose the military because we wanted to serve our country and a variety of reasons as diverse as the people that make up the U.S. military. And I'd like to take it back to the the Al Bundy uh, as we close out. Um, Sometimes thank you for your service is more of a conversation ender than it can be a conversation starter. And so uh, I I may offer uh, as a veteran, rather than thank you for your service, when you find out somebody was in the military, maybe what did you do or hey, where did you grow up or what are you doing now? so that we can have a conversation about who we are as Americans and really find what connects us rather than divides us. And as one final thought, maybe from our two veterans on the panel, um, is there anything that you would add to that?
5: No. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody's made some very valid points and good points. Um, Yeah, just listen to the advice. Be what you want to be.
7: Yeah, basically the same thing, and that is, you know, I said it earlier, but, you know, veterans, uh, the, so, so first of all, I'll, I'll say this. I, I hate the term reintegration. Sure. I hate that term. Um, and like, why do you hate that term? Like, well, what, when did you join? When I was 18. Well, you've, you you can not reintegrate because you were never integrated in society. Right. Yeah. Okay. You're y- yeah. yeah. You want to call high school being part of society? No. Right. So Dawson's Creek. So I mean, yeah, <laughs> But it's not reintegration, it's integration um, by and large. My point being is it's whatever you've done, it's all about what are you going to do now? What are you going to do? Like, The whole military is crafted around pushing yourself and, and, and there's these parameters and these, these metrics of, of goals and there's a process. The problem with civilian life is the, the, uh, the plan you have to make up yourself. It's not laid out. The steps aren't laid out. So, and that's okay. It just means you have to be your own, you know, you're, you're the private and you're also the team leader and you're also the first sergeant and the commander, which is fine. So take what you've learned from the military and create your own template, find the direction you want to go, and then just keep going every single day until you get there. It's, it's not magic. It really isn't. No different than it was your whole military process. You just kept going.
2: And with that, uh, one more round of applause for our panel. Thank you all for coming.
1: Thank you all for tuning in to this live release of our ATX Festival panel. Please come back and listen to the variety of topics coming your way, from writers' rooms to reunions to industry insider issues. This podcast was made possible by our partners, Matica Productions and the Forever Dog Network. For more information on us and our podcast projects, please visit atxfestival.com and atvxp.com
0: slash podcasts. Next year's festival dates are June 6th through 9th, 2019, and passes are available now.